This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. The book of Philippians is uh, quickly becoming one of my favorite books of the Bible. I'm so thankful for the Apostle Paul and how he wrote this book to the church of Philippi. He wrote this book while he was in prison. And so as we, write, uh, as we read this book with that perspective, it helps us to understand the book better. To understand that Paul himself is experiencing suffering, yet he's telling the church of Philippi to rejoice. That does not seem logical. But Paul is saying throughout this book that joy, even in suffering, is possible when a believer has a concentrated focus on Jesus and on heaven. Even in the midst of suffering, joy is still possible if a believer has a concentrated focus on Jesus and on heaven. And throughout the book, Paul is steering the church of Philippi to focus on Christ and to focus on heaven. And when we do that, it makes a world of difference. It, it corrects our misunderstanding, misunderstandings. It, it helps us to be able to go through every circumstance in which God has us. It's an incredible perspective to be able to focus on heaven and to be able to focus on Christ. What I like about Philippians chapter 1 is that Paul is talking about the furtherance of the gospel, the advancement of the gospel, and throughout the first part of chapter 1, Paul is referencing his own advancement. He says, I want to advance the gospel in my own life, through my circumstances, through my preaching. I want the gospel to go forward. But then we get to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27, and Paul turns the attention directly to the church of Philippi. And he says, not only do I want to further the gospel, but it's my prayer that you advance the gospel with your life as well. So let's look at Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27. It says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And so Paul is saying, this is my prayer and my desire for you, church, that you personally advance the gospel right where you are in Philippi. And so what we're going to look at tonight is the glorious gospel. The glorious gospel. Verse 27 is all about the gospel. And verse 27 is all about advancing the gospel. So that's the title, the glorious gospel. I'm going to paraphrase verse 27 for us. And then we'll dive into it and try to explain it as we go through this, this verse. But when I look at verse 27, my personal paraphrase is this. My behavior as a citizen of heaven must match the worth of the gospel so that the gospel can go forward in a unified and an effective manner. My behavior as a citizen of heaven must match the worth of the gospel so that the gospel can go forward in a unified and an effective manner. So first of all, if we're talking about the gospel here, he's saying to let our conversation be as it becometh the gospel, 
We need to know what the gospel is. So let's start there. And let's first look at the richness of the gospel. The richness of the gospel. Think about something rich and valuable. When I think about that, uh, my mind goes back to college when I was interested in my wife and getting ready to propose to her, recognizing marriage is coming. And I realized if I'm going to do this right, then I need to go buy an engagement ring, right? That's the right thing to do. And so I began to start looking for an engagement ring and realizing that engagement rings are expensive. And so I started working harder so that I could have enough money for an engagement ring. And when I purchased that, up to that point, it was the largest purchase I'd ever made. Now I've obviously purchased things larger like a car. That's more expensive. But at that point, it was the most expensive thing I'd ever purchased. And I I bought that. And, And when I knelt down and I gave that to my wife and asked her to be my wife, to be that she was my wife to be at the time, when I asked her to be my wife, It was precious, and it was a special moment because of the value of that. I had invested in that engagement ring to show her, not just that I value this ring, but to show her that I value her and that I value the relationship. So when you think about something valuable, something rich, we could talk about stories all day long of valuable things, glorious things, but really when we understand the gospel There is nothing as valuable and as precious and as glorious as the gospel. This morning, we commemorated the Lord's table. And we were able to just be reminded of how precious the gospel is because of what Christ has done for us. Because of his suffering on our behalf. Because of how he left the glories of heaven for us. So that we could have eternal life. So that we could be reconciled to the Father. Oh, it's incredible. So let's think about the richness of the gospel here for a moment. Verse 27, what we're getting somewhere, he's trying to say we need to live like the gospel, and we're going to explain that here in the next point. But before we get to that, we need to understand what the gospel is. So the richness of the gospel. When I think about the gospel, I first think about the Savior, of course. And when it comes to the richness of the gospel, the Savior is what makes it rich. The Savior himself. And the Savior's life Jesus Christ, it was marked by humility when he was on this earth. You can just flip the page probably and get to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. That's the key word. It's marked by the humility of Christ. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death. But not just any death, the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. This passage right here is explaining what Christ did for us. It's called the incarnation, how Christ came to this earth and became flesh, became man for us. How he set aside the glories of heaven, now he became a man. But he just didn't become a man, he became a servant. And then he decided to die for us. But it wasn't just any death, it was the death of the cross, the crucifixion. And he did that for us. So when I think about the richness of the gospel, I think about the Savior. 
And when I think about the Savior, I think about how His life was marked with humility. But His life was also marked with sacrifice. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9 says that Jesus Christ became poor for our sakes. A very similar concept to what is portrayed in Philippians chapter 2 of how He set aside the glories of heaven, how He came to this earth in the form of a man, in the form of a baby initially, and how He became poor for our sakes. Why? So that we could be made rich. So that we could have His robes of righteousness. Somebody mentioned this morning in the service how we in and of ourselves are simply wearing filthy rags. But because of Christ, we can have robes of righteousness. That's what Christ did for us. He, he swapped that. He said, I will take your sin upon myself and I will give you my righteousness through my death, through my sacrifice on your behalf. So that when Christ looks at the believer, he now sees Christ's righteousness. He no longer sees my sin, but he sees Christ's righteousness. That is glorious. The gospel is marked by the, the glorious Savior. It's marked by His humility. It's marked by His sacrifice. And it's marked by His death. John chapter 10, verses 15 through 18 describe how Jesus said, I lay down my own life. That that's how He accomplished the work of justification for us. He laid down His life for us. When I think about the gospel, that's what I think about. The Savior who was humble enough to sacrifice His life and lay it down for me. Romans 5 and verse 8 says, But God commendeth or demonstrated his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We don't deserve that, right? It says somebody doesn't even like to die for a righteous man or a good man, but God sent his son to die for us while we were sinners. That is love, and that's glorious. So when I think about the richness of the gospel, I think about the Savior, but I also think about the message. I already mentioned this, but the, the message is consumed with Christ. As I preach, I should be preaching Christ. As we give our testimony, it should be about Christ. As we share our faith, it should be about Christ. It's consumed with the person of Christ. But also the word gospel itself is characterized by good news. It's characterized by that. And so when somebody hears the gospel, what I just explained of how Christ died for the sins of mankind, that's good news. That provides hope. I just saw a tract last week and I handed out several of them. And it was really amazing. On one side, it had these two words, here's hope. Here's hope. And when I gave that to people, it, it, I could just sense they were reading it. It, just, it seemed like it resonated with them. And it's incredible to think about the gospel and how the gospel message provides hope. We have it in this room. We have the hope and the peace that only God can give because we've been reconciled to the Father through Jesus Christ. But the world doesn't. They don't have that hope and they don't have that peace. Your co-workers don't. Your relatives don't. Some of them might, of course, if they know Christ, but some of them don't. But we have the hope through Christ. When I think about the message of the gospel, it's also been commissioned to give to the whole world. And so that's why we go to the Ivory Coast, and that's why we send the gospel to Chesapeake, because there's people right here that need Christ as well. So we've focused initially on the richness of the gospel. When we think about Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27, he's 
explaining some application to the church of Philippi. But before we can get to that application, we need to understand what the gospel is. So let's go back and read Philippians 1.27 again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So we describe the gospel, the richness of the gospel. But now secondly, let's look at the responsibility to the gospel. The responsibility to the gospel. The Apostle Paul is admonishing the church here, exhorting the church to respond to that gospel message. They're already believers. They're part of a local church assembly. But now he's saying, respond to it even further and apply those truths to your life on a daily basis. Let's explain that. So let's look at Philippians 1.27 and just look at these words. He says, only... Let your conversation, let's look at the word conversation. The word conversation means our lifestyle, but not just our lifestyle, but our lifestyle as a citizen, our behavior as a citizen of heaven. And so he's saying, let your lifestyle be as it becometh. Well, that word becometh is interesting. The word becometh means to be worthy of or appropriate to. So he's saying, let your lifestyle be worthy of or appropriate to the gospel of Christ. Now that's interesting. He's saying that the gospel is worthy. The gospel is rich and glorious. And now let your lifestyle match the worth of the gospel. The way that I live on a daily basis should mirror the gospel that saved me from my sin. We just looked at how glorious it is, and the key characteristic, don't forget it, is that the gospel is marked by the humility of Christ. When we get to the end here, we're going to wrap that up and explain how vital that is for a local church. But if I understand the gospel, then I should begin to respond to the gospel, and I should begin to live my life in such a way as to promote the gospel. So think about it this way. When we think about our responsibility to the gospel, I think about proclaiming the gospel. So we stand behind a pulpit and we, we preach and we proclaim the gospel. And then when we go throughout town, we hand out gospel tracts and we, we, we go soul winning. Why? To proclaim the gospel, to preach it, to explain it to people, to our coworkers, to our relatives, to share our faith, to share our testimony. But then something else, this passage is not really focusing on proclaiming the gospel, it's focusing on really a different aspect, and that is promoting the gospel. You might say, Josh, that's, that's really similar. Well, I use that word for two reasons. It's alliterated. But secondly, it, it does have some different significance to it. I'm not just proclaiming it with my words, but I'm promoting it in the way that I live. Have you ever seen a Chick-fil-A billboard before? All right, I've seen those. Your closest Chick-fil-A is six minutes from here. You know what? That is amazing. And if it was Monday, I would go there, right? But it's Sunday. And that's just, the, it's really disappointing. And I understand, but, you know, just really sad. When I see a Chick-fil-A billboard, all of a sudden, I could just see the chicken sandwich, right? You don't even have to see words. And I recognize it. And I want to get off that exit because there's a Chick-fil-A off that exit. Or you might just see the logo. It might not even say Chick-fil-A, just the logo. And you recognize it and you want to get off that exit. 
You know what? When we think about promotion, whether it's a billboard or some other advertisement, sometimes they don't even use words, right? But we understand the message that they're declaring. And so we walk a lot of places and we go a lot of places in this world and we don't talk a whole lot, right? So I, I walk past dozens of people, right, every day at Walmart or to other stores, but I, I don't necessarily talk to them all. But the way that I live should still reflect the gospel. It should still promote the gospel. So if I have Allison with me and maybe she's misbehaving and I lash out in anger towards her in the grocery store, well, I'm not promoting the gospel, am I? No, because I didn't respond like Christ would. And so I must make sure that I'm constantly promoting the gospel, not just in my words, that's necessary, but also in my behavior, in my actions. Let's think about this. When we go to certain occasions, there are certain places uh, that we want to match the atmosphere with the way that we dress. So if I go to a wedding or to a funeral, or if I, if I were to be, go, go to a courtroom or government building, those kinds of places, you would want to dress up for those buildings. You would want to dress up for those occasions. But there's other places that you don't really want to dress up for, right? You go to McDonald's and it's not a big deal. You can just, just wear, wear a t-shirt. It's okay. So you think about the difference in setting, right? And if it's a special setting, then you want to dress up for that setting. And really what the Apostle Paul is saying is the gospel is so special, so glorious, that we ought to dress up for it spiritually. We ought to live in such a way that promotes how glorious that gospel is. Now, we are not trying to earn our salvation by the way that we live. We recognize that salvation is by faith alone, not by our works. We're not trying to keep our salvation by the way that we live. We recognize that our salvation is secure at the moment of, of salvation, at justification. What we're trying to do is we're trying to be a good testimony, and we're trying to promote the gospel to the world that is watching us. The world does not have our hope. The world does not have our peace, but they're still watching us. And so we as believers are sent here to be the light, to be representatives for Christ, to be his ambassadors. And as we do that, we can live in such a way that people can see us and they see Christ through us. It's no longer I who liveth, but it's Christ who lives in me. And when Christ is living in me and then living out through me, then I can be able to reach people with the gospel that I would never reach on my own strength. But it's Christ and his power that is living through me so that I can reach those around me. So we've been thinking about this. We've, we've talked about the, uh, the richness of the gospel. We've talked about the responsibility to the gospel. But then verse 27 concludes with a very powerful section. And that is the result from the gospel. The result from the gospel. So look at the latter half of verse 27. I'll just read the whole verse. It's short enough. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that I may hear of your testimony, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So the Apostle Paul is telling the church of Philippi, if you understand the richness of the gospel and you respond to that by living in a way that promotes and proclaims the gospel, there will be a result from that. This is the result from the gospel. He says, you will stand fast in one spirit with one mind. When a local church 
like Good News Baptist Church, understands how glorious the gospel is and begins to respond to it by living it out on a daily basis, the result is that you will be unified. You will be standing fast in one spirit with one mind. You will be unified in your attitude. Now recognize with me that our unity is not based on emotions. It's not based on just trying to get along. No, rather our unity is based on doctrine. Our unity is based on the Bible. It's based on the person of Jesus Christ, and it's based on his gospel message. So when we think about unity, you can read your church constitution or your doctrinal statement. That is what is unifying you together. You have these core doctrines that you agree on so that you can worship together in unity and in harmony. That is called unity, and that's good unity. So when we think about unity, we as a local church, as we understand the gospel, as we understand how rich it is and how glorious it is, then we can begin to be unified better with our local church members, with our fellow church members. But if we don't understand that, then we're going to let little petty things divide us, right? I've seen this happen. I've seen it happen in our church. I've seen it happen in other churches. Where if people don't have their focus where it should be, then we begin to let petty issues divide us. So let me give you kind of an example of how this could, could work out. First, I'll give you the positive. The positive is that we as a local church could all have our eyes fixed on Christ. We could recognize it is Christ who came to this earth. He set aside the glories of heaven. He humbled himself, and he came to this earth for us so that we could have eternal life. And my eyes are fixed on Christ and on what he's done for me. So that's what we should be doing, right? And then because of what Christ has done for me, then I want to respond to that. And I want to live out the gospel that has saved me. I want to live it out in my daily life. And then the result is everybody else I see, I'm not, I'm not worried about how they're offending me. My eyes are fixed on Christ. And then together, if my fellow church member, if his eyes are also fixed on Christ, then we together can be unified for the cause of Christ. So think about how that could positively work out, but then think about how it could negatively work out. If my eyes are not on Christ, and my eyes are not on the gospel, but instead my eyes are on my fellow church members and how they're offending me, and how they are not being kind to me today, then that's not going to go well, right? Because then I'm growing bitter towards my fellow church members, and I'm not forgiving, and I'm not loving and then when that is the case, I'm not focused on Christ. I'm not focused on loving others. And then the result is I'm not focused on getting the gospel out because my focus is in the wrong place. What the Apostle Paul is trying to say here in Philippians 1.27 is that our life must be focused on the richness of the gospel. Then I must respond to the gospel by living it out. And when I do that, then I can have the result from the gospel. And that is that all of us together can be unified together. What does Paul say? With one spirit, with one mind, and the last phrase, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So not only can a local church be unified in their attitude, but they can be unified in their action. They can be unified in their action. So think with me about how this can happen. If all of us, Decide, we're not going to let the petty issues divide us. 
but rather we're going to keep our focus on Christ. And recognize with me, when I say petty issues, I literally mean petty issues. There are silly things that divide local churches. Very silly things. There was a local church I heard about recently where someone spilled coffee in the auditorium. And because of that little scuffle there, a church member left the church because somebody lashed out with them and and, and did not have a good attitude towards them. And then that person couldn't get along with that person. But you know what what it went back to? Literally spilled coffee. And it caused people to leave the church. That's what I'm talking about when I say petty issues. Literally silly things. But when, when our eyes are fixed on Christ, when our eyes are fixed on the gospel, then we together can be unified. And if somebody spills coffee, it's okay. We clean it up. If we have to replace the coffee, it's okay. They're more valuable than that. And the gospel certainly is more valuable than that. And it's okay. So what we're supposed to be doing is having our eyes fixed on Christ and fixed on the gospel and focused on the task at hand. That's what Paul is saying, striving together for the faith of the gospel. When we think about the gospel and and, and the, the, the task at hand to get it to the world, we think about the Ivory Coast. It's a, it's a mission field. There are several key religions there that make it a mission field in my mind. There's Islam, there's Catholicism, there's animism. Well, that's a mission field, right? But what if a town had 60% of its citizens that did not adhere to any religion? They don't claim any religion. 60% of its citizens don't claim any religion. And then the other 40%, they just claim multiple religions. So it's not that they're all Christians. They're just religious people. What if a town had that as its statistics? Would that be a mission field? Well, of course it would be. But that's Chesapeake. If you look up your religious statistics, 60% of the people in your town do not claim a religion. And then the other 40% are just simply religious people. All sorts of religions mixed together. So when I see Chesapeake, I see a mission field. I see a place right here that needs the gospel to be advanced. Before we even think about the Ivory Coast, we're thinking about Chesapeake too. And obviously we're trying to do both simultaneously as God allows us to. But let's think about this. How can we advance the gospel right here? Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and then we'll close. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This morning we commemorated the Lord's table. Man, what a special time to be able to Think about the sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf. 1 Corinthians 11.26, as we concluded the service, Pastor Asher read this verse. It says in 1 Corinthians 11.26, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. That word show is so powerful. The word show literally means to herald or to proclaim. It's the same word where we get our word for for preach. It it is to to preach and to herald. To think about that as we eat this bread and drink this cup, I am preaching the Lord's death till he come. Now let's think about the concept of what we did with, with communion this morning. When we think about communion, the only people who can partake of that are believers, right? And people who are right with God. And so when a local church is is right with God, God and they're right with each other, that means they're unified. And that means when they come together to commemorate the Lord's table, they are showing I'm right with God and I'm right with others. And therefore I can partake of the Lord's table. 
Think about that. And think about the message that that preaches to the people around us. You had visitors this morning. Think about how they watched you as you as a local church partook of the Lord's table. Think about people on live stream. Think about people in Chesapeake who, who maybe even just hear about it. Really, the Lord's Supper is one of the most evangelistic services that we have because we are preaching the Lord's death. We, we are commemorating the Lord's table. It's incredible how we do this. And when we do it, a local church is coming together in a unified fashion to be able to promote the gospel, to be able to say we are unified with each other because we want to further the gospel right here. We want to further the gospel around the world. And so really, I just want to remind us that what we do on a regular basis, whether it's the Lord's table, whether it's regular services, we are commemorating the Lord's table. And when we do that, we are preaching the gospel. We are in a unified fashion furthering the gospel. And that's what Paul is saying, that we should be striving together for the faith of the gospel. If we can't get along with our fellow church members, it's a big deal because the gospel is at stake. We must be unified so that the gospel can be advanced. We must reflect the gospel appropriately so that Christ can be magnified. So that as a believer, I must know the gospel. I must meditate on its truths. I must keep my eyes fixed on Christ and keep my eyes fixed on heaven. I must not allow petty differences to divide me from my local church members. And then on a daily basis, I must reflect the gospel to the people around me. So let's think about this this week. As we go throughout our daily business, how can I promote the gospel? How can I be a billboard for Christ to just say, Christ has changed my life and my attitudes and my words. Everything that I do should be promoting Christ. Everything that I do should be proclaiming Christ. And then as a local church together, how can I get involved? How can I partner together with my local church members so that we together can see what God can do right here in Chesapeake and around the world? The gospel can go throughout Chesapeake, and the gospel can go around the world from this church if each church member does his part. If we each, in a unified and an effective manner, do our part to stay unified and then to promote the gospel in the way that we live. I think it would behoove us to daily meditate on the truths of the gospel so that we can live our life in a way that pleases Christ, so that we can promote the gospel, and so that we can, together as a local church, see the gospel further. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this church. Thank you for what you are doing through this church. I ask that you would help each one of us to keep our eyes fixed on you so that when trials come, we continue to rejoice so that we can continue to be unified with our local church members and so that we can continue to further the gospel. I pray that you would inspire this church to take their next step for the cause of Christ right here and around the world. Thank you for this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. 
we encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and God's Word has had an impact on your life, as together we strive to show forth the path of life.